1: The timeline is a Blue Wire podcast.
0: Bridges, he, he's amazing in there with his catches in the paint. It's uh, not many guys in the league can do that. Feet up top, D. A. hammers it home. That'll get a timeout for Frank Vogel and the Lakers.
1: Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast.
3: My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, the the Suns continue to play well. Let me ask you something, Mike. You are mm-hmm. fresh off. Uh, well, we're not we're not fresh off the Lakers win, but we are we are day removed. But mm-hmm. you were part of a very exclusive club mm-hmm. yesterday. It's true. Actually, actually getting to go to your first Suns game of the season. Uh, what, what, what was it like, first of all, your experience at the arena? And uh, how close would you say you now are with Pat Mahomes?
1: Practically best friends, I, I would say. Um, I will say at one point I was walking around the suite area, which was open to the general public, which is not normally open. I guess they have a wristband thing uh, now that there's only 3,000 fans. So you could walk around there and go to the bars. And I was kind of wondering where he was sitting. I kind of looked around like <laughs> he, he must be. In a suite, I don't, I don't know. Then again, like the way they have it set up is you're sitting so far away from other people, you can kind of sit anywhere and not be bothered, even to the point where they're zip-tying any seats that are not sold closed, shut, so you can't pull the seats down. Mm. So people can't like move seats closer to you. It's all pretty far apart. Uh, I will say, just from a general perspective, they nailed it with the arena, absolutely nailed it. Uh, everything looks incredible. It's brand new. And I hated it before. Like I loved going to Suns games, but it just it felt like going to an arena for a, an unserious team, a team that was just not taking the basketball team as seriously as they should. Because the arena was old, the bathrooms were bad. It wasn't really accessible to handicapped people. Like a lot the of the arenas, were cold. Yeah, the, the, the nachos the were cold. Yeah, on. and uh, and now it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like a state of the art arena, which is very nice. I, I will say, if, if you're going to a game, the upstairs, the the second level which is really the fourth level, the cheap seats, is not fully done yet. Um, a, a lot of it is still being worked on. It doesn't look like they have all of the concessions done. The floor is still cement up there. It, it all looks uh, less complete than the, the bottom, the, the actual ground floor, which maybe will be something that's done over the summer. Maybe they won't make it nicer. <laughs> it is the cheap seats after all. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do there. Nothing is cheap, I will say, for a Lakers game. What was especially fun was seeing sad Lakers fans. You know, they still shout about <laughs> championships after the game. That's just oh what they do. Oh my god. Yeah. Um and are, there was are a lot they, of are are
3: they the, let me ask you this cuz I don't even know the local vibe. Are they Phoenicians who are uh Lakers fans, yeah. like who live yeah. there or 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 do they come from LA specifically for the game?
1: Uh no, I think they're all from Phoenix. Phoenix is very transplant heavy. People who move from a lot of times more expensive
3: cities. Right. There's a lot of Uh, like Chicagoans
1: there. I think a lot for for some reason, a lot of Chicagoans, a lot of people from LA, um, you know, just any of the surrounding States really, because Phoenix is a relatively easy place to live. Uh, So there are a lot of them are from other places or people who just chose the Lakers, which happens a lot, uh, you know, in places where they don't have NBA teams. You just choose the best NBA team. Kobe Bryant was there. So yeah, a lot of them are from here and they, and you know, they go to the game, they're very loud, very obnoxious, and uh, no LeBron. And it's kind of funny to think about the the total expense of that game, to go to it and not see LeBron. I mean, <laughs> that's really what they did in this right. case. So uh, they had to watch Kuzma, Markeith Morris, and and Alex Caruso play KCP, a lot of minutes. yeah. Yeah. Which wow. I, I will say, just from like my perspective, what I was hoping for was a game where you could sort of see the Suns tested a little bit, and, and LeBron makes that big of a difference on this team when you watch the Lakers without LeBron it's just impossible for them to score they still have a relatively good defense but LeBron's playing better defense than he has in a while in the regular season so even the defense is worse so seeing a team that can't really score the defense is pretty garbage without Anthony Davis or Mark Gasol because Mantra's Harrell is so bad you know there's just really nothing to learn from that from the Lakers game which is just kind of unfortunate as fun as it was to go and as great of an experience as it was. I didn't really learn anything from it. I don't know. How did you feel about watching it?
3: Yeah, I mean, learn from it in terms of like, uh, it it was nothing like the environment that you're going to see out of like a theoretical Suns-Lakers playoff series. So I'm with you there. Um, There were fun things to take from it, though. I mean, first of all, the most obvious thing, DeAndre Ayton, 26 points. It was his second most highest uh, scoring game this season, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, look, he was matched up on Montrezl Harrell. Montres Harrell's a disaster defensively. We know that. In fact, so much so that like Chris Paul and and Ayton did enough damage on Harrell yesterday that today on Twitter I saw that Harrell is now on the trade block. Yeah. Um like the <laughs> that's that's how much damage they did to the man over the over the span of 2 hours. But yeah. Still, Aiton had 26 points. He as hasn't always looked super confident on the offensive ends of the ball, and he didn't show us anything new. He wasn't taking guys off the dribble, but he was just playing to his role, catching lobs. I thought it was Pick the it best Ross. game. Yeah, I thought it was the best game DeAndre Aiton has had in a month since yeah, probably like probably that Chicago game where he took over the fourth quarter. Probably his best game since then. Uh, so, so that's that's important. You know, I love to see that. And and then you know Booker. Booker played well. Chris Paul had a triple double. obviously he got ten thousand assists ten thousandth assist. That doesn't like teach you anything, but it's just it's cool you know, it's it's a reason <laughs> to go to the game. It's a reason to get excited. so yeah, um, yeah, I, I mean, you take a seventeen point win any day of the week doesn't matter who the opponent is
1: yeah. I, you know, watching DeAndre in in person in that game was really satisfying. And I think it's no coincidence that his game thrived so well in specifically a pick and roll def- or a pick and roll offense with a defense that was not very good at. Covering a pick and roll you know obviously Chris Paul's so good at manipulating those big men into like positions of that benefit him and and benefit the big man but I, I think DeAndre Ayton deserves a lot of credit for because a lot of cases they were switching on those in really confusing ways for the Lakers it's almost as if their their defensive game plan was not fully executed on every single play uh, but you know, DeAndre Ayton did a good job of sealing off on when they switched on those pick and rolls underneath the rim and still finding ways to get the shot up and over the little guy that was guarding him, which is vital. I mean, that's a really important thing for him to be able to do. So I hope that continues. As is the case with him uh, commonly, consistency is key. So I hope this is something that can be carried into the rest of the season. That That's, that's really vital. Obviously, a trade deadline coming up. We'll see what happens after that. But i have a few, and i just the closer we get to it the the more i learn about the trade deadline and we're going to get to that a little bit more later the more likely i think nothing is going to happen for a lot of teams uh, in the nba which is something we talked about on our last episode um
3: as well anything else from that game stand out to you uh, no, uh maybe a couple of bad things but i think we're going to touch on those later <laughs> uh the good yeah. stuff i covered
1: well, let's talk about Torrey Craig. I mean, we have yeah. the Suns have a new player. We haven't but had a chance to talk about him. Uh, traded cash. They had an open roster spot. We talked about it extensively on our last episode. I, you know, I even made the joke that if if the Suns did nothing with that open roster uh, roster spot, I was going to lead the charge against Robert Sarver being cheap. So this was a perfect example of that not happening. And a real, I think, a real example of proof, I would say that the Suns are really looking to try to do something this season, I- I- importantly. Obviously, nothing major here, but there may not be an opportunity for any major moves uh, going forward. Just, you know, obviously, it takes multiple teams to make a trade. At uh, This type of thing, the Bucks needed the roster spot, and they needed some cap relief. So they just gave up Torrey Craig basically for free to the Suns. And the way I look at it, my first thought was when I saw this is, first of all, it's a great fit. Um, I'm not sure how much minutes he's going to play, but he's big. He's strong. He plays good defense. You know, his offense is the type of, you can point at him as sort of a 3 and D guy that's able to get to the rim every once in a while. But it reminds me a lot of like a Daryl Morey move when he was with Houston where he was just getting these big giant wings that are sort of 3 and D wings yeah. for nothing and just trying it out and seeing if it works. And sometimes it did. Ben McLemore played really well. Yeah. for the Rockets Daniel, you know, Daniel House. House turned yeah. into a good player he even right. P.J. Tucker to an extent although he was good in Houston I think never really got the credit for being I'm sorry he was good in Phoenix he never really got the credit in Phoenix that he got once he was on actual good team so I thought this was a really yeah. savvy and smart move by James Jones and company and um, I, I hope he's good I, we could talk more about how he fits but what would you think
3: yeah. I, I mean, wing depth and defensive versatility is something that every playoff team needs. So just having another body to throw at LeBron, uh, another body to throw at Kawhi, guys like that, <laughs> Kevin Durant, if you get as far as the finals, right? Um, that sort of stuff is going to come in handy. And, and and Torrey Craig, I don't think he's a needle mover, if I'm being completely honest, not a serious needle mover. Right. Offensively, his game is limited. He's going to be he can hit an open three, but it has to be an open three. He's not like a real floor spacer. And, and other than that, his offensive game is basically just maybe some transition finishing or cutting. Um, but defensively, he's long. He He's like a slightly frailer Jay Crowder. And, um, you know, we even saw in the game last night, it took Abdul Nader getting into foul trouble in like 10 minutes in order for him <laughs> to even see playing time. So it might be difficult for him to get into the games if the Suns are fully healthy, um, but yeah. when he when he does, like even yesterday when he came into the game, and he doesn't he probably doesn't know the scheme yet or, or any of the sets offensively or anything. Um, but I thought he rotated well defensively. He did as much as you possibly could have asked of him in, in day one. So just another body to go in there and, and hustle his butt off a little bit is is obviously a good thing for the Suns. Um I will say though, I was I don't know, I, I guess I was just expecting the Suns to play the buyout market a little bit more. And uh, yeah, I, I don't yeah. mind Craig whatsoever.
1: Yeah, but there's but no I, roster spots now. I do
3: wonder now that there are no roster spots, what it means yeah. for the deadline. I mean, this is like we are T-minus, by the time people hear this, T-minus 48 hours basically to to the trade deadline. And I don't know if the Suns are going to do anything, yeah. but I have a feeling that a lot of other Western Conference teams are, are gearing up for some big moves. We can touch on that later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It's peak anxiety period. And, and I kind of hope that... Tory Craig isn't isn't all that we're going to do here. <laughs> if, yeah. if like that's your big push for a championship. Well, yeah. I mean, we said it previously, but th- I mean the main
1: goal for the Suns is to sort of recognize how good they are and recognize still what it takes to get even better and to leave no stone unturned. That's really the goal, leave no stone unturned and don't be too precious about your future assets when you have a chance at, at a title, which I think that they do if if things play out right. Look, LeBron James is injured. I'm not sure how serious his injury is. I'm not sure if, even if the Lakers knew how serious his injury was, I'm not sure if we would ever even know that. Anthony Davis has an injury that could be extended. It could be longer over time. Beyond that, if the Suns play right, none of the other teams in the Western Conference fully, fully scare me. Now, that's safe to say that they could change. They could get better. You know, I think the Suns have a puncher's chance against the Clippers. If they were slightly better, that chance would get slightly better. Same. Same goes with Utah. Portland for some reason scares me a lot, uh, and then Denver. Uh, you know, Denver obviously is a little bit scary too. There's there's a point to be made. If the Lakers do get healthy, you need a little bit more size. If you're playing against a team like the Clippers, a slightly better Torrey Craig would probably be what you want <laughs> <laughs> at that point. If, you know, PJ Tucker was the guy I was looking at because with those guys, there's a chance that you play you get played into a super small five. Yeah. Without a center, without even like Dario Saric, really, with just wings. You know, that happens in the playoffs more and more every year against specific teams that have really high quality wing players. And that's the type of team that could force you into that. Yeah, I think so we really, saw
3: I think we saw about three minutes at like one point this season of Jay Crowder at the five. I forget what yeah. game and, and situation it was, but like something like that wouldn't shock me if we saw it again in the playoffs. And if you were in that type of situation, having Crowder at the five and Craig at the at the four, bridges exactly. at the three it's, you know, it's switch everything, defensive versatility. It's literally, like you said, when we started this conversation, it's just what Houston was doing with Daryl Morey. And, you know, when they had Daniel House and PJ Tucker and Luke Baumute all playing at the same time, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah it's, this isn't new stuff, but it no. comes from this new school of thought of this is how you win in the playoffs. And, and it's pretty clear to see what the inspiration was behind the move.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's, you're exactly right. I think you hit a nail on the head there where, defensively if you need the best possible defense in a super small five that's where Torrey might get in the game ahead of maybe Cam Johnson in some scenarios or even there's a scenario where you have Devin Booker at the one if Chris Paul's not in the game you just have four other wings out there you can really do that and you know I've said it before Cam Johnson on offense essentially can play the two against another team that's sort of playing five wings which does happen you could do that in scenarios against a, a certain bench lineup. You know, obviously your best lineup is going to include Chris Paul. The point is versatility. You have the options to play this guy who's actually pretty big for his position and can play up to the four and even super small five in some scenarios, I think we could see with Jay Crowder. And that's just really interesting. So, I, you know, it's a really smart move. I, I'm not against it, but I think you're right. The really, the only ways that the Suns can sign a buyout guy now, there's two ways they could cut someone. I mean, they really could. Uh, And then they can go to another team or they can trade two for one, which is something that we've talked about. If you trade two guys for one, say you're trying to get George Hill. I'm not sure. I know that there's a lot of other examples out there that we've thrown out and that I'm sure you've seen online. If they trade two guys for one, then they have an extra spot. And there are interesting buyout guys that could be uh, available, but yeah, Tori Craig, new guy. I'm excited to see him play a little bit more. I I hope they get a chance to put him in some of these games. I don't think he's a type that you need to play like, you know, he's not Jalen Smith where you're only playing him when you're up 15 with two minutes left. <laughs> he can, he can get in against good teams and we can see him play. He's got experience, playoff experience even. Uh, the other topic that we wanted to talk about, Sam, is not as fun. It's it's Dario. Dario has been, I mean. We talked about there's a potential that he's going to regress. Actually, we said that we we guaranteed it. He had the best net rating in the NBA. (laughs) It was sort of a guarantee that at some point his play was going to regress. It's not the worst time for it to happen because there's other things that are working well.
3: But we should talk about Dario. What do you think about Dario lately? Yeah, so I pulled up the stats. I mean, you just look at his past three games. He shot five for 18. Uh, combined in those three games, he had more turnovers than assists in all three of those games. Um, a negative plus-minus in all three of those games, even as the Suns went two and one, it hasn't been good. And and yeah, I, I would I would just echo what you said, Mike. We guaranteed that some regression was going to come eventually. Um, the only thing that concerns me a little bit with Dario, though, specifically, and and you know, again, I don't want to speculate on his health. I, like I don't I don't know anything about his situation. That unfolded earlier this season but he had COVID and he was out with COVID for quite a while and and I do sometimes wonder in situations like these if maybe there are some cardio issues maybe there are some reasons all along that we haven't quite uh, emphasized enough why Charge would be playing say 15 to 18 minutes per game rather than the yeah. 25 to 35 that we had been advocating for. Um, I'm not saying that's what's going on here. Uh, guys have good weeks and guys have bad weeks but I do think about it sometimes as is is what I would say um but regardless if whatever is happening with Dario yes some regression was 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 always inevitable I think what makes the conversation interesting now is again it's it's trade deadline week (laughs) you know like it's uh for the most part charge has been a fantastic backup center as good as you could possibly ask for but he struggled to protect the rim recently and when he both struggles to protect the rim and struggles to hit shots, it's it kind of is where it reveals that hole in the roster where you realize, wow, we could really use uh, a Damian Jones type, but actually good. As I think I phrased it a couple <laughs> of weeks ago on an episode, like just a, a, an enforcer big who can come out there and set strong screens and protect the rim and do all of the physical stuff that maybe allows Dari to play a little bit more of the four where, yeah. where maybe he's a little more comfortable in big lineups like you're gonna see against the Lakers in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I, the, I mean, this is a conversation we've had before too. Like, and, and this is why, you know, if JaVale McGee hits the bio mm-hmm. market, for instance, mm-hmm. I think that like, I think a guy like that is a perfect kind of name to consider for the Suns, but Hey, now the Suns don't have a, an open roster spot. So this is how it connects back to the Craig conversation that we were just having is you got to be a little more creative now or or willing to let some other pieces go. Um, if you maybe want to find that piece in the first place, but also, I might be getting ahead of myself here, you know, like based on what you've seen, Mike, do you think Dario playing poorly for the first week that he's played poorly yeah. all season would even yeah. make a difference to James Jones? Do you think this is impacting kind of their mindset?
1: I think that if I were James Jones, I would be more concerned with the DeAndre in foul trouble in in the few few games where he's playing against like a superstar center um than that. I and really it's a, it's a nice thing with DeAndre and where it's really the fast guys that can shoot threes that give him trouble at the center position, and there's not a ton of those as far as defensively, because he's done well against other superstar centers in the past, even though Dario Sarts is the one that had one of the better runs against Joel Embiid. Weirdly, I think he still played well against Joel Embiid. He's done well against Jokic, even though that was in lo- I mean, that's one of the only Western Conference playoff teams that the Suns have lost the what, what would be considered the tie-breaking series at the end of the season is Denver so we need to see that more in wins but the foul trouble is concerning because if you get to a point where you do have a dominant center on the other team like Anthony Davis for example Nikola Jokic and um you're putting charge in there you know that might work in short stretches and it probably will they're they're you know like it's important to remember before the last 3 games the Suns had not been outscored by more than three points with Dario Saric on the court this entire season. The two worst games, as far as plus-minus for Dario Saric on the court, were the Lakers win and the Minnesota loss. Those were the two worst games so far this season. So it's important. The yeah. proper perspective is that while he's on the court, the Suns have been great this entire season, outside of a few games recently. And and I agree with you that you know I don't want to speculate on his health either. But he looked lethargic he looked kind of slow like his reaction time was slower than recently i'm not connecting this to covid in any way what yeah. i mean is i'm just curious it didn't it didn't I mean, look like a normal player playing bad it looked like a guy that was like slower for some like slow motion in games for some reason
3: yeah and i just want to say again you know it's three games will allow guys especially guys who's had as good of a season as dario to have a bad week and and kind of weaken Sort of just move on. And I'm confident that the way he played in the past week is not going to be the new normal for Dario Saric. I'm not suggesting that. Um, What I will say, the matchup against Cat was just like the worst possible matchup for him. Yeah, And I think that's the other reason it's important is because it gets you thinking about the playoffs. Like, Cat is a very challenging big to deal with because he can take you off the dribble. He was hitting step-back threes. In that yeah, game,
1: I still think he's the best. I guess Jokic. It's a different kind of offensive. center. Exactly, I think he's and that's, the best offensive center. That's where I was game. going
3: with this. Is we've seen Dario in limited minutes. Jokic still terrifies me. He terrifies me for good reason. But we saw Dario guard Jokic in limited minutes in those those back to back Denver games earlier this yeah. season. Jokic doesn't take you off the dribble. He just puts his elbow into you and, and tries to go to work in the post. And right. granted, his vision is phenomenal. He'll find passing lanes like no other big can in in the NBA but when it just comes to to muscling up and trying to hold him off dario for his weight uh, yeah. seems to be pretty good at that anthony davis though scares me in particular yeah. cuz he's right. he's the opposite not the opposite ends but he's the other end of the spectrum kind of way very, very, very
1: similar to cat very similar
3: to cat i mean anthony davis can also post you up and anthony davis is also very strong not to mention yeah. anthony davis is also a big pick and roll threat that these other two guys aren't and he yeah. can leap right over the top of of Saric. And he can but shoot. most importantly, he can get it from the mid-range elbow and, and take you off the dribble. And that's where Dario, I mean, if we're projecting forward, we haven't seen Dario really play uh, a ton of head to head minutes against Anthony Davis this year. We have no reason to believe that, you know, it's it's this is necessarily going to matter because we don't know if the Suns are gonna play the Lakers in the playoffs at all. But you right. have to think or if about if they're gonna every, be healthy. Right. You have to think about every potential matchup if, if you're really trying to win a championship here and just you know are there certain teams where uh, we admit to ourselves small ball works there's a reason the net rating is what it is um, but there are certain matchups where hey we have to give Dario some more minutes at the four and we need to go out and get another big who can who can actually match up the way we want right. to against against a guy like AD who's just a, a next level you know I hate to throw this word out there because it's corny but a unicorn uh, if there are <laughs> only a few unicorns in the NBA then Anthony Davis is definitely one of them. Yeah,
1: it is so bizarre how fast that Carl Anthony Towns can move offensively and how slow his feet move defensively. It just doesn't connect in my mind. It's he, sh- he should be better. He should be better on defense than he is. But for some reason, it just doesn't translate in any way. You know, just, just since we've mentioned it, it's, it seems like the injuries sustained by the Lakers recently has sort of affected a lot of people's perception of the trade deadline or what the Suns should do not necessarily just the Suns but other teams as well i think the clippers or you know even like the nuggets or even like portland who's played well lately or or dallas who's like rumored to be in the aaron gordon pursuit has the, has that affected your cuz for me it's the same i i believe that the suns had a shot at a title before this and that's part of that is predicated on the idea that some of these players ahead of us uh, are on teams that could be considered better than us once the playoff starts. Some of them could be injured, admittedly. Uh, and I believe they have a chance at a title now. So I guess it didn't really change my perception on what they should do in the trade deadline. Did it change yours at all?
3: I try not to to, to freak out because I don't think it's a productive response. Like I don't think FOMO fear of missing out for the for those who don't know should be the thing that dictates your your trade strategy you know you don't make a move just to make a move i will say we're sitting here the first move of the deadline officially happened a couple hours ago the clippers traded uh, a prospect of theirs and and a couple second round picks in, in cash and whatever um to the kings i believe it was i don't have the trade in front of me but but they traded some some shit to the kings nothing valuable for the sole purpose of opening up a roster spot and it doesn't take a genius to figure out what they're trying to do 48 hours yeah. before the deadline. They're opening up a roster spot because they're going to go out there and spend some more money and acquire some more talent. Yeah, buyouts I think, and trades. I think there are five legitimate contenders in the Western Conference, uh, the Lakers being one of them. But if you take out the Lakers, I think the other four legitimate contenders in the Western Conference, and the Suns are one of them, all realize that the Lakers look a little bit vulnerable right now. And so there might be an arms race. What I can't figure out is if James Jones is actually interested in playing that game. We talked uh, this, you know, this isn't a trade episode. We mostly talked about our trade ideas last week. I I don't know what James Jones is going to do, <laughs> but I think there's a good chance the Clippers and the Nuggets and um, who's who's the other one? You uh, probably not Utah actually, but I think there's a good chance the Clippers and the Nuggets, maybe Portland, those teams are going to be interested in in acquiring some new talent, um, and, and kind of. Kickstarting starting this arms race and yeah i don't know what was the original question anyway <laughs> just if it had changed
1: just basically if the injuries had changed your thought on the uh, uh trade ah. deadline but yeah I, I think you 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 hit on some interesting stuff there just about the amount of teams that sort of can really go into this trade deadline believing that they could get better and i think you're right about that people have speculated that the clippers traded their first their only first round pick that they've taken in a while uh, for cap relief and I just has that team done anything to save money since Balmer was the owner it's like that team is willing to do anything to spend as much money as possible to win a championship I didn't get that impression at all I totally agree with you I think they I think they probably know that someone is coming after a buyout at this point or they're prepared for it, or maybe they have a chance to make a trade where they get an extra player back. I mean, having that roster spot open, like you said, is the important part. And you know, yeah, we'll see if the Suns do anything.
3: And I guess because I I don't think I did a very good job of clarifying my point. Like the, the idea is just because the Clippers are out there and they're probably about to make a move doesn't mean you should make a panic move. Right. But man, like if, you know, you said it on Twitter today, if every other team gets better... Yeah, and and you stay the same, you got worse. That's yeah. that's how it is.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. And that's the truth and and I agree with you. And I I'm actually still and I said it before all of our trade options last week, I still believe that the Suns probably won't do anything. Admittedly, nobody really has a good read on James Jones. I've said in the past I think he tells us more you know as a fan base than we realize. If you really listen to the words that he's saying, you could kind of tell that he was going to trade. Uh, Kelly Oubre for example and, and you know you can kind of read into that as much as you want but you know I read some trade primers recently we're going to get into some guys in a second but um, you know Woj was tweeting about it Zach Lowe wrote about it you know there's guys writing about the trade deadline right now and the impression that I got from a lot of these is that uh, these teams all think that they're kind of in it and yeah. that makes it less likely and, and to an extent I don't know that the NBA when they and maybe it doesn't matter but I don't know that the NBA, when they created the play-in game, realized that they were kind of nerfing the in-season <laughs> trade deadline in right. a way, right. because there's so many teams that have a chance to make the playoffs at that point. They're less likely to sell. Maybe that's good, right? They want teams to try and win as much as possible towards the end of the season, but so much traffic to ESPN and you know Bleacher Report, all these, yeah, to an extent, even our podcast... Uh,
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. ESPN would rather more players change teams. They can get
1: more views uh, on their videos or more people to watch their TV shows. I'm not sure if they realized how much that, that was going to tra- change the deadline, but my impression that is that nothing is going to actually be moved in fact let's take a yeah. quick break oh sorry <laughs> go ahead first <laughs>
3: no i just, i was just gonna say yeah i think it's totally an unintended consequence but we need to i guess we just need to wait a couple days and, and and see what yeah. happens before we can
1: yeah that's true firmly true. make
3: that conclusion it definitely i will just end on this before we go to break it definitely feels like there are more buyers than sellers and so it's yeah. a weird market
1: let's uh let's take a break and let's talk about some of the names that are uh popping up recently and, and get into those
0: Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. Simple. ServiceNow Digital Workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow Workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only have the battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow Workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now platform. So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow.
1: All right, Sam. One name that's coming up that we should talk about because some people are actually saying that he would be a good fit on the suns and i'm sort of conflicted about it is aaron gordon uh you know from and actually interestingly orlando's going to be playing in phoenix the day before the trade deadline Mm -hmm. uh, which which is just kind of interesting you get a good look at a team that could be one of the only teams that could be kind of blowing it up i just well
3: they never do (laughs) if you were going to make the move Mr. Sarver could save money on the on the <laughs> flight yeah. to Phoenix to get him over there. It's, Just have him switch true. locker rooms after the game.
1: <laughs> it's true. Uh, Aaron Gordon makes, I think, $17 million. I don't have the numbers up. Uh, you know, not a ton of money for uh, what he was sort of projected to be early in his career, but enough money that if the Suns were to make a trade, you'd have to give up assets, like real assets, probably Jake Crowder or even Dario Saric, you could say, uh, in order to match the salary on a deal for somebody like Aaron Gordon. And that's kind of where I get stuck. Now, I do admittedly like to picture Aaron Gordon on the Suns. He could be a sort of small ball five like we were talking about. I think defensively he's really nice. He's actually a pretty good passer for his position. Not a totally reliable shooter, uh, but has never really played with a guy like Chris Paul as well. Obviously, the Suns lack athleticism. That's something we've talked about. A guy who can attack the rim regularly. Aaron Gordon, dunk contest. I guess loser. (laughs) Uh, Is somebody that can attack the rim. I'm conflicted. What do you think about Aaron Gordon? Uh, You
3: just brought up a valid, uh, kind of unrelated point. Who's the best point guard you think Aaron Gordon has played with in his six or seven year tenure with Orlando?
1: It's not Alfred Payton.
3: (laughs) Is it Alfred Payton? So is it DJ Augustine? Probably DJ Augustine, yeah. Like that's... that's that right there is a convincing argument. You know, I think oftentimes, um, when in doubt, trying to answer the question is a player on the Orlando Magic overrated or underrated? If they're on the Orlando Magic, they're underrated. I think, you know, and it's not always a, a totally flawless argument because you look at this team right now and and you see that they're fourteen and twenty eight. They're fourteenth in the Eastern Conference, but they've dealt with a lot of bad injury luck, and they've got some, you know, they've got some young players at the end of that roster who are kind of soaking up minutes and, and turning them into a bad team. But the the guys who have been there for a while, the veterans, Aaron Gordon, I think is an underrated player. Vooch, we talked about last week, he's an underrated player. Evan Fournier can can contribute to some other team. Like there are real NBA talents there. And there's a reason that A, it seems like everyone's talking about Orlando. And B, Orlando themselves are kind of recognizing what we were just talking about before the break, that they're yeah. they may be one of the only sellers here at the deadline and they can kind of dictate market value um in, in a fashion that they'd like. I mean, I think I heard somewhere that that their price for Aaron Gordon was two first round picks and and a young player. Um that yeah. to me is ridiculous <laughs> for what if, for what Aaron Gordon is. And so yeah. let for the record he he asked out
1: today as well that it was reported that he asked yes. for a trade too so leverage wise i think that
3: matters too that that definitely does matter it didn't it, hey it didn't stop the suns from getting two first round picks for goran dragic when uh him. Yeah, i will point out um all, all think, nba player though <laughs> true i'll put it this way i think aaron gordon is a better player than like a jay crowder or dario charge i think he's also the type of player who at 25 years old in his physical prime is likely to get better on his next team if that is a winning team in a more positive right. culture than the one he's been yeah. surrounded with in Orlando. I think these are important things. If you just look at the profile that he is statistically, he's been a good defender. We've known that for a long time. He's been an athletic player. We've known that for a long time. He's shooting 40% from three this year. I don't know that I buy that at all, but I also don't know that I buy Jay Crowder shooting 38% from three. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's a give and take. Um, and in addition to that, uh, he is also, you know, he's averaging four assists per game. That's not something that's very common to see in a power forward and, and yeah. increasing his playmaking has been a gradual thing for Aaron Gordon. I think for a long time, people have been expecting Aaron Gordon to just one year, make the leap and become like the 20 plus point per game all-star that people for a long time expected him to be. And he's never made that leap, but yeah. gradually, if you've been paying attention, he has taken strides to his game. They just haven't been super noticeable, but he is a better player than he was three or four years ago. Yeah. All that being said, the things that the Suns need to value right now, I mean, uh, just by virtue of the fact that you'd have to give up like Jay Crowder, it's it's a no-go for me. And I think the biggest reason there isn't that I think Jay Crowder is a better player, but you brought in Jay Crowder to be the veteran after Chris Paul in the playoffs who can really steady these guys' heads and be a leader in the locker room. You can't then go out and get a guy who has five career playoff games to his name to replace him. Uh, you know, I think Gordon is such a talented player on paper, and I understand why there would be any number of contenders out there trying to acquire him. But for the Suns, he's just, he's, he's just too young. He'd just be another young guy that doesn't quite know what he's doing. And if you were willing to wait a couple years and let him grow, that might be interesting. But if you're really talking about giving up assets, giving up first-round picks, and maybe like a Jalen Smith or a Cam Johnson or whatever, to go out and acquire this guy and make the best possible team to win this year, it needs to be a guy who you're confident can perform in the playoffs. And Aaron Gordon, we've just never really seen him in the playoffs, so I wouldn't feel confident about that at all. What do you think? Yeah.
1: I, I really fall into that. Here's, here's the thing. There's probably a way for the Suns to make up the salary to get Aaron Gordon without giving up, say, Jay Crowder. And I don't think they want Jay Crowder. Like, there's just no chance. I just don't see how that makes sense. At all. They'd basically be asking for Cam Johnson in any... Trade that you make, and I and probably Jalen Smith, and probably a first round pick in the future. With which I'm not precious about. Give if if you have a chance to fully improve this season, fine. Give up a first round pick if you if you can. I'm not super worried about that at this point. Maximize being good right now. I feel like people underrate how important being good right now is for the team in the future as well. Being a very good team matters a lot. It's how you get. Like, without the bubble run, you wouldn't have gotten Jay Crowder. You wouldn't have gotten Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Showing that you can be competent, showing that you can be good matters for the future. This idea that selling players or selling picks or, or or is somehow giving up too much to be good right now, I think that's a ridiculous notion in general. Being good makes you it possible to be good in the future. You can sustain good play for a long time if you can prove to players in the NBA that you can be good. That matters a lot. It's how you get players like Jay Crowder. Like I said, he had a lot of options. Uh, but I will say, the idea that they give up any of that for... Without Cam Johnson... Cam Johnson's really the guy, right? Isn't that the guy that you look at when you look at our roster? And of course, well, they I mean, probably ask for Aiton. Like they, would.
3: they wouldn't get Aiton. He, he, no. And, and Cam Johnson, he's not the... Again, he's not the salary match. Right. He's just like the future prospect. And right. Under the, the team way I control, feel, right. The way I feel about that is... I know we're trying to assemble the best team for right now. But man, I really like Cam Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I really like Cam Johnson. And like there's, there's, you know, sometimes you just got to know there's a value I think that outweighs. Aaron Gordon only has one more year on his deal after this season. Then he's an unrestricted free agent. He can go anywhere. You're also going to be paying McHale. At, let's say presumably you're going to be play, uh, paying hefty sums to both McHale and Aiton on their extensions at that point. So whether to what extent you can even extend Gordon without going deep into the luxury tax, we wouldn't know. Whereas Cam, he's got two more years on his rookie deal. Then he hits bird rights. I don't know what the team is going to look like after another two seasons after this one. But then you've got his bird rights. You have the potential to keep him another four to five years after that. I know we're talking about future there. We're not talking about the best possible team right now. And it's it kind of conflicts the logic that I've typically gone with of the Sun should try to win a championship this year um but i i just you know if you're gonna trade cam johnson i think you can do better than aaron gordon i just really think you can
1: i like i'm confident saying this i like cameron johnson more for this team than i like aaron gordon and there's there's i think a magic for, for like this a, an season, orlando
3: though, like for let's forget about future for a second just this year can can you okay. really say that Here's what there's I'll say. There's a chemistry argument in your favor. There's there's chemistry. I, but know, so. I
1: also think that Cameron Johnson is maybe one of the more underrated. He's probably the most underrated defender. I agree. On the Suns in general, like he's just so totally smart when that. it comes to defense. And yeah. I also think that his upside is probably higher than we've really given him credit for. Uh, specifically, you and I, because we we just rarely talk about what his upside would be, being that what well, he was the oldest player drafted for one. But that's also an advantage to him, right? When you're talking about building a championship team, if you have a guy under team control with basically making $4 million into his prime, that could be someone who actually does really good things on a team.
3: I have to bring it up because it's too easy not to. Cam Johnson is about 150 days younger than Aaron Gordon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's actually, that's a perfect comparison. And he's making $13 million less. Yeah. That that matters. I know we're talking about being good right now, but Cameron Johnson is good right now, and he allows you to get other players that are good and keep other players that are yeah. good, like, say, Jay Crowder, for example.
3: I think the way I feel ultimately is um, I think Jalen Smith is going to be good in the future too and i've said that before but jalen isn't doing anything for you right now so if yeah. you can go out and get any role player that you really feel is going to make a tangible difference i'm willing to give up jalen smith in the process if you can convince some team that that liked him say in the pre-draft process um plus picks obviously um i'm open to training cam johnson and deandre Aiden too, but to trade cam johnson it really probably has to be a, a very established like Starter, a vet, like a a clear upgrade at a position that I just don't know exists. Yes. Aiton, you'd have to get like a, a obvious star in order to trade him. So the, those are kind of my levels. Whereas you know I I'm I'm just not attached to Jill and Smith in the way I'm attached to the other guys. Yeah, for obvious as, reasons, he's he's not doing anything.
1: <laughs> as far as value for what they're being paid, there's really no one more valuable as far as dollar to dollar contract value than Cameron Johnson and Mikhail Bridges on the Suns. It's just they, what they bring for what they're being paid is, is way higher uh, than they would get on
3: market value. If they Cameron were just Johnson has to, you know. the same VORP. There it is, the wonderful stat. Cameron <laughs> Johnson has the same VORP as Devin Booker. Take of that what you will. <laughs> and Aaron Gordon, I believe. <laughs> Aaron Gordon, that's I, I a I haven't good looked point. today, that's, but I recently I've looked. If yeah. true, that is a, a well played, sir. Yeah, but, well, the advanced stats are, you know, you know they're whatever take them for what they're worth you couldn't you couldn't sub in cam johnson into devin booker's role and expect him to replicate the same level exactly. of success right <laughs> exactly. so that's why the argument kind of falls apart a little but yeah. there there's also you know what i take from that stat a reasonable way to interpret it i think is compared to other guys who are playing the same role as cam johnson he is yeah. he is exceeding expectations yeah and that's a good thing. And and you're you're getting a guy who's exceeding expectations for only three million dollars per year. Whereas Devin Booker, yeah. for a guy who's making thirty million dollars per year, may also be exceeding expectations a little bit. But not yeah. massively, you know? Like right. like if you think about the replacement. He's level, getting properly paid, yeah. Yeah. If you think about like what's a what's a replacement 30 million dollar player who you could put into Devin booker's place like the average 30 million dollar player uh, i'm Sports not even sure what that would be what, I don't is, know what, what does that is andrew
1: wiggins days. make is he below average at this point andrew
3: uh, wiggins is below average i i think but he's been it, it,
1: kind of good lately i'll
3: give him a little bit of credit yeah uh, i'm not i'm not about to praise andrew wiggins uh, on this episode <laughs> after what he just said about the covid vaccine anyway um, oh no i missed that we don't need to talk about it that's fine uh yeah so i you know look to bring this conversation forward a little bit no to Aaron Gordon again like I think this is one where there's going to be like eight teams competing for him anyway I I mean I saw uh, I saw a rumor a couple hours ago from um, Keith Smith Mm -hmm. who we Mm -hmm. both like a lot um, mm-hmm. That Boston seems to be really interested. Yep. I like that for them Like I think yep. for them it makes sense and and Boston is kind of the team that has always talked about Oh, we're gonna make this move We're gonna make that move and they never have and now the pressure is really on they're, they're kind of yeah. flailing at the deadline they and suck. trying to figure a way yeah. to, to climb the standings <laughs> in the east I think Aaron Gordon makes a lot more sense for them And I think maybe for that reason they're the type of team that would be even more desperate yeah. right to pay the price that Orlando wants over a team like Phoenix in the first place. So it very well may be a moot point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, that's a good point. I will say, Matt Moore, a former guest of this podcast, hard, Hardwood Paroxysm on Twitter, HP Basketball, also said the Nuggets, Blazers, Mavericks, and Rockets are all yeah. potentially in that. Which I mean, is I'm, like I'm not going to lie. Especially relevant to the Suns at this the point. Nuggets, right? The Nuggets
3: scares me. Yeah. Because I think that's, the Mavericks too. That's them getting a supercharged version of of what Jeremy Grant was for them last year. Right. Like a Jeremy Grant who and it's kind of funny to say this now, right? Cuz like now we know that Jeremy Grant can dribble, but under Mike Malone with Denver he didn't really. So yeah. so it's like yeah. the, you know, them getting what they had and lost last year in Grant, but a version of that who can defend bigger forwards and can also dribble the basketball and make reads and stuff and yeah, that would make them dangerous. I mean, that's that's how they got to the Western Conference Finals.
1: Yeah, yeah. I will say, and and we should point out, the Suns have been tied to Aaron Gordon before, uh, in the James Jones era, by the way, uh, in that Shams and our friend Brandon from Zona Sports reported, Brandon beat him, by the way. You know Shams likes to steal.
3: Uh, <laughs> he does. He does. He's a thief.
1: He's, he's a, a thief. thief. It was reported that the Suns were in talks with Orlando and uh, didn't want to give up Kelly Oubre funny now. You know, it worked out for the Suns, but the idea of not giving up Kelly Oubre for Aaron Gordon, I think, sounds kind of crazy to me right now. Aaron Gordon is just better at basketball, and in my mind, you know, as good as Kelly Oubre was for the Suns,
3: is he's a flawed player. He's better, but like, I'd rather have Chris Paul. Yeah, it really worked out. (laughs) You know, it really
1: worked out for the Suns. But I will say, if if somehow the Suns end up in this. Uh, and they somehow trade for Aaron Gordon. I think he would be really good on this team. Like just mm-hmm. just to put it out there, just in case it does happen, uh, you know he's able to make good reads. You know he's shooting well right now. Like you said, he he and he could be the type of above the rim threat that Chris Paul likes. And he likes guys like that. And I think that you'll see. And by the way, I went through every year of Orlando while you were talking earlier, and definitely DJ Augustine is the best point guard that he's played with. Yeah, he did have see, the... very young Victor Oladipo. You know, like there was there was a season. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't count. Like
3: he wasn't very good yet. And 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 DJ is a good playmaker, but he's just no one respects DJ as a scorer. Uh even a couple years ago in in Orlando. So it's just it's not fair to wholly judge. And I say this about Vooch too. And Fournier. Just to go back to the point yeah. about Orlando, Orlando is underrated. A lot of these veterans haven't really been given a chance. If you look at their roster, I'm looking at their roster right now. They're giving hundreds of minutes to Michael Carter Williams, yeah. Gary Clark, Dwayne yeah. Bacon, the rookie Cole Anthony. You mm-hmm. can't win with that. You you just no. can't. So, like, sure, they have, like, one star in Vooch and, like, three role players. but you, you know. Unmotivated.
1: I, I think it's important to know, like, with Aaron Gordon, he just asked to be He clearly hates it there. And you talked about Jeremy Grant. He got to the team he wanted to play on. All of a sudden, started playing a little better. Nick Batum is another example of that with the Clippers. Potentially mm-hmm. Blake Griffin. We don't really know yet. He potentially dunked. Potentially Blake Griffin. Yeah, he dunked, you know, what? Mike, L- Lamarcus Admit, it. Ob- admit it. Yeah, he he dunked. You were wrong. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. But he, he I did might dunk. be. R- I'm. I've already open to that. You know, I like I said <laughs> since the beginning. There's a chance he was just dogging it. It's just he looks like he can't move laterally. Then guys like yeah, that are gonna struggle fair. with Orlando. They're, if they do trade Gordon, which it sounds like they might have to now, right, if he's asking to leave, maybe they bought him out, maybe Vuc goes. That's that's going to take a lot probably, uh, although maybe not, depending on leverage. Uh, Fournier makes $17 million. That's going to be hard to trade, but they're going to try to trade him, I imagine. If he gets bought out, I brought it up on Twitter, it's a great option for the Suns on the bench if they can create a roster spot somehow uh, if, and get a guy if, like Fournier. If
3: Fournier gets bought out, would they yeah. buy him
1: out? Only one year, seventeen million, and it's tough to trade a guy that makes I seventeen mean, million like that. If,
3: yeah, if Fournier gets bought out, it, it, like it's a it's a business. So you know, sorry to like Etwan Moore or whoever, but yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna cut someone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's absolutely. a very good player that you. Well, could he can add run
1: every bench. he can run every Booker offensive play. You know, Literally, like he, yeah. he he has that yeah. three level scoring in his repertoire, and he slots right in there. Like not a great defensive player, but gives you, know, you someone to
3: to trash talk Rudy Gobert in the Jazz series in French. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes, and any night he can score 20 to 25 points just randomly. Like that's a possible thing, especially with Chris Ball, uh, you know, r- running the J.J. Redick sets for him. Uh, that's an example there. Uh, something that I read in the Zach Lowe piece, I believe, was Gorgie Dang could be bought out by Memphis. I brought that up on Twitter as well. That's an option for the Suns. I think if you're looking at a, another big, you got to create a roster spot for them, which I'm not that's sure how name, they'll do it.
3: That's another name, like another one of those 30 year old guys who's just toiled yeah (laughs) on on bad teams but has been a a, a decent a decent role player in the past um I haven't watched a ton of Gorgie Jang recently I'm not gonna lie uh yeah I I know he's playing for Memphis this year I don't think he has a super large role there
1: no I mean they might buy him out (laughs) they might
3: buy him out so yeah I mean I'm looking at his stats now big body you know look at average are you about to read them out, or do you want me to? No, 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 go ahead. <laughs> you know, averages eight points, four and a half rebounds, half a block a game, only plays 17 minutes, right? He, he can hit the three a little bit. Actually, this is pretty interesting. I didn't know Corky Chang was doing this. He's yeah. shooting 48% from three this year, 23 yeah. for 48. I don't know if that's going to stick, but yep. suppose I guess if he can pop a little bit now, then then that's, you know, it's, it's, it's just... Again, Mike, like not, not a needle mover. He's a body. But he's a body. He's, he's a tall guy. He's, better he's a than length Damian guy, Jones. too.
1: He's not really a strength guy. You you yeah. hope that he can play as smart as possible. I think he's like, an example. Like, like Jay Crowder wasn't good in Memphis. Like not being good in Memphis true. doesn't guarantee that you're not gonna be good
3: somewhere else. No, that's true. But 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 okay, so you know, I'd be happy with that move for the record. You pick up yeah. Boogie Jang, cool. But we're talking about winning a championship. Okay, you picked up Gorgie Jang. You're going yeah. into a, a series against L.A. and let's say, the second round or something. Uh, okay, like, do you, do you think that actually helps us? Like, how much does it really <laughs> help us?
1: Like one thing it does do is it, it could potentially bring one of their big men out of the paint on offense because he can shoot. And, and that helps to have a, a guy potentially that can defend on some possessions but no, not not a lot. <laughs> I mean, at this, po- I mean, you can you can ask the same question to be honest about Lamarcus Aldridge at this point. Lamarcus Aldridge might be bought out. Rumors are he's going to Miami. That's a yeah. Mark Stein
3: report. Aldridge is funny because Aldridge is in a vacuum, a better basketball. He's a more yeah. skilled basketball player than someone Absolutely. like Rudy Gobert. Or yeah. or or to go back to that idea I threw out earlier too, JaVale McGee. Right. Lamarcus Aldridge is such a better basketball player than JaVale McGee. Yeah. I'm just not confident that you can win a championship and, and it sucks. Like it's it's people say this about players all the time. But but centers have to do so much in the playoffs these days, I just don't know if Lamarcus Aldridge can do that. And I feel like JaVale McGee or or even Gorgie Jang, someone like that, Aaron Baines, I've talked about him before. Guys like that, I feel more confident about their ability to to survive in the playoffs.
1: Right. Yeah, I you know Lamarcus Aldridge I think is kind of fascinating. I I think that's like I don't know what he's supposedly Miami um, is is the rumor for him, and uh, if if he does go there, it'd be interesting to see how he plays there. First of all, is he going to play power forward? Like, is he going to start at power forward next to Bam? And does that make sense? How how fast can he move playing uh, defense? Lamarcus there? hasn't
3: hasn't played the four significantly in like three or four years. Yeah. So I don't know how that works, frankly. I mean, Bam could play the four, maybe. I don't know if that's the best use of uh, the best optimization of Bam's skill set.
1: Yeah. Both of them only shoot from mid range. Now, I guess Lamarcus you can force out to the three point line. Uh, I would not be mad if we created a a roster spot for Lamarcus Aldridge. I feel like players like that that are desperate to win a title at some point of their career can have runs where they just play sort of out of their mind good you know maybe does, beyond what their bodies are capable of just to sort of get to that point so
3: it does kind of feel like in a funny way the most absurd end to the timeline that began with <laughs> bringing tyson chandler into a room to try and persuade all yeah, sign him to, too yeah. to, to to come and help us beat lebron yeah yeah i mean man that was that. forever ago <laughs> yeah and remember how happy we were too <laughs>
1: Oh, that team could have been good I, I think uh, you know it's it does feel you know it's too big it's kind of funny now because Lamarcus Aldridge is clearly a center if you haven't watched him in, in a while like he can't really play any other position that's why it's a little interesting to think about the sun's being in that and even the heat to an extent being in that race uh, for Lamarcus but I don't know he could he could be fine I, I wouldn't be mad about that either
3: how they it's create th- a roster spot gets interesting at that point it's kind of funny because Suns fans, we, we often talk about how like no one ever wants to come to us in free agency, but uh, sorry, I'm still just thinking about Suns history. Like, you know, our biggest free agent signing, I, I guess, was Tom Chambers was the first unrestricted free agent yeah. ever. And then Steve Nash, obviously. Right, right. But in the past 10 years, our two biggest chances, our two biggest swings that we took when we were competitive, right? Other than getting in the room for LeBron, where we were never really, we were never yeah, really I, considered. It was clearly a
1: favor because Eric
3: Bledsoe had the same sure, agent. Exactly. Our two biggest swings. I'm pretty thankful neither of them came true. First, it was Eric Gordon. Do you remember that? Yeah. When he, when si- tried he t- signed in restricted free agency, he signed in restricted free agency and then went to the Clipper Clippers Hornets. He went no, to it was the, Hornets. the Hornets. Yeah. He went to the Hornets, Hornets instead, and mostly got injured. And yeah, well, they wow. matched. And, yeah. And then LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah. For I as I mean, much technically shit, Tyson
1: Chandler, I guess.
3: For as much shit as Suns fans have been through for the past ten years. I don't think they would be in any better of a position, or, or uh, let me put it this way: I don't think the timeline would have been accelerated any quicker yeah. had they been successful in getting either Eric Gordon or LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I guess you we, know the, maybe we would have made a playoff appearance.
1: It's possible. I, I think there's a chance that the overall NBA community would view Devin Booker in a different light because he would have won more games earlier in his career which I don't know that that matters. At this point, this team is so much better than that team ever could have been and much more modern. You know, that team is very old school as far as how they would have played with, you know, a Twin Towers approach and LaMarcus shooting mid-range shots. That's what it would have looked like. Uh, You know, I'm not a huge, huge fan of that, but it still would have been pretty good. Um, Yeah, I I didn't see any other real major players, you know, nothing really major is really out there because of, like I said, the the play-in game kind of nerfs all of that. Uh, but I, I didn't see any other potential buyout guys that really interested in me. But I think things can change pretty drastically in the next few days. The trade deadline is Thursday, for those who don't know. And it's a deadline league. That means they're going to wait till the last minute for a lot of these moves are going to happen uh, at the last minute. So that should be interesting to watch. One last thing we wanted to talk about, uh, Sam. I was going to tie it to the Dario conversation, but we just kind of flowed into the trade stuff, so we had to cover it. Is you know as Dario's been bad, the Suns have been saved by the bench so often this year in a way that scared me to start this season. And you know Dario not playing as well as he was could have been a death knell at some point. But now Chris Paul and Devin Booker is, is starting to work. You had a stat that you wanted to cover on that, right?
3: Yeah, sure. I just want to. We talked for so long about how the net ratings with Chris Paul and Devin Booker weren't where we wanted them to be that's when the two of them were on the court at the same time for the first couple of months in december and january the suns were a minus 5.2 when those two shared the floor but obviously we were mostly winning games even we were 500 at one point but we were still mostly winning games throughout that period and that's because when it was just chris paul they were like a plus 15 and when it was just devin booker they were like a plus 13 or something Mm -hmm. and then they were minus 5.2 well in february and march lo and behold These guys are a plus 10.4 when they share the court. And I think it's interesting, Mike. I mean, we saw it again to to call back to the Lakers game. Yeah, Granted, no LeBron, a different Lakers game than you would normally expect. But they got out to an easy eight, nine point lead before anyone off the bench even subbed in midway through the first quarter.
1: With Jay Crowder that, starting, I think is is, important is, is a to good point. Is a good
3: point. And I will say, over the past two months, they're plus ten point four. I think much of that is with Kaminsky starting, and I think much of it is with Jay Crowder starting. I don't think you know, you know I I think if you isolated for either of those guys, you would still find that that pairing was playing quite well. And I just think that's something, at the very least, we should make note of. It's good news. More importantly, why is it happening? I'm not really sure I know why it's happening, Mike. Do, do you have any theories as, to, as yeah. to why we're finally seeing these two mesh like yeah, we wanted?
1: It, honestly, I think it's exactly what we suggested—not to pat ourselves on the back early on. But uh, <laughs> we, we talked. I, I talked a lot about Devin Booker having the ball in his hands a little bit more, and it seems like when they're both on the floor, you know, Chris Paul is deferring to Devin Booker a lot more, especially in that first quarter. But I think as well. In the third, and then in the fourth quarter, uh, it's more of Chris Paul territory at that point, as it should be, um, because he's just so good in the
3: in, in the fourth quarter. But yeah, Booker hasn't played well enough, I will say, yet to where in it's the like, clutch, yeah, to yeah. I, I I mean, Chris Paul last four or five minutes of the game, no one of the doubt. Best in I'm, the league. I'm trusting him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's literally good. one of the best in the league. One he's of the best. He's good. Ever. He gets
3: he gets to a spot too easily, and you know what? One thing that frustrates me a little bit with book, he's played very well. Um, but the turnovers in the fourth quarter, Chris Paul just doesn't turn over the ball. Uh, not, not like Devin Booker does. The contrast is
1: very obvious between those two guys and even the shots aren't falling with Chris Paul. I think what, what's fascinating about him in the fourth quarter is that, uh, I feel like Devin Booker feels like he has to shoot at this point in the, in, in clutch scenarios. Whereas Chris Paul, if the shots open, he'll do it. But if not, He's patient enough to find somebody else or to back it up and and re-attack, whereas Devin Booker, I think, is forcing it a little bit too much. But beyond that, beyond the fourth quarter, Devin Booker draws so much more attention than Chris Paul when the ball is in his hands that other people are open more often. And I think starting with the ball in Devin Booker's hands a little bit more because of the attention that he draws allows other guys to get open more often. And, And from what I've seen just from the eye test, that's been how they've been playing a little bit more lately, so that's that's my assumption. You know, it'll be interesting to check to see if the stats actually point to that, uh, but that's that's my guess.
3: I will say, sh- kind of related to what you're saying. Shout out to Chris Paul for finally understanding uh, that he's a good shooter. Yeah, and and taking shots that are given to him was was yeah. a thing that frustrated the hell out of the two of us uh early on in the season he would just hesitate he would he would get an open shot in the corner and he would wait for his defender to catch up to him so that he could dribble into an iso instead yeah. of just taking the simple catch and shoot three um well here on the season he only takes one uh one catch and shoot three per game so it's not massive volume but he's 19 for 38 on all catch and shoot threes that's 50 percent. it's phenomenal yeah uh, i i he's capitalizing uh,
1: Early on, when we checked that stat, it was literally half. So it's doubled. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's still not. I'd prefer it a little bit more. Uh, he does so well when he catches it and and he probes that it's not like a huge problem. Uh, but I, I do think that it would be nice to even see see it a little bit more and maybe that's something that they can change even as the playoffs uh, start coming. I I don't really expect it to be something that it just he just doesn't do it. <laughs> He just yeah, doesn't mi- really do it.
3: It's a mindset thing. It's like asking Abdul Nader to pass. You know, there yeah. there are probably <laughs> there are probably some things that just aren't fixable. Once you play, you know, tens of thousands of minutes of professional basketball and get up to a certain point, there are certain things that can be tweaked and there are certain things that probably can't.
1: Yeah. Since February first. Since February first, this is this is the stat when I bring up a lot of stats to look at who the Suns are right now, I used February I used February first as sort of this dividing line of when the Sun sort of became a new team, they look different uh, since then. Uh, he's shooting overall 43% from three. And on catch and shoots, which is 1.3 a game, so a little bit higher, as you know, he's bringing it up from that .5, 53% on those shots. Mm-hmm. So those shots are dropping, and he needs to shoot even more of them. But it's just impressive that he you know, is capable of doing all that. And he's still really good from pull-up, 37%, which is a very good percentage
3: on pull-ups, but and yeah. you know what, this isn't relevant to to that duo specifically, but campaign, as long as we're talking about catch and shoot threes, yeah. is also shooting above fifty yeah. percent on catch and shoots this year. Yeah. And it's a different type of catch and shoot. You know, it's not as impressive when campaign or Chris Paul does it compared to Joe Harris because Joe Harris is doing it on like three hundred attempts, right? Yeah, yeah. But just or the Eagles, fact that, yeah. Yeah. Just the fact that Devin Booker can have Either one of those guys, Paul right. or Payne, shooting that well as his backcourt partner at any given moment, compared to where we came from. Yeah, I mean, you know me; I'm the biggest Shaq Harrison fan alive. But like compared to <laughs> compared to some of the backcourt partners he had a Alfred few years Payton. ago, yeah, uh, Eliot Kobo, De'Anthony <laughs> <laughs> Eli Acobo, Melton, yeah, guys who guys who could not hit even a wide open three if yeah. they got it. We have yeah. come so far. <laughs> even Booker
1: even Booker in that same time frame is shooting forty one percent on catch and shoots. Yeah. And you know, uh my he, guy Langston,
3: he, uh Langston Galloway shooting above fifty percent too. Yeah. I am very happy. It would be remiss of me not to give him a shout yeah. out. At some point in this episode, I'm very happy to see him back in the rotation. It looks like he's getting regular regular minutes again.
1: Yeah, and he, I think he's earning them. He's doing, I think he's doing more than shooting, and I think that's kind of what it took at this point. The shooting matters a lot, but now he's finding ways to attack. He's made some nice passes in the last few games, and he's not a total zero on defense. And even if he is, that extra little stuff he does on offense and the gravity that his shooting brings, will he'll continue to get minutes. He's definitely earning them. He's got a great uh,
3: mindset too. Hard worker.
1: Yep. Another day to be great. What does he say on Twitter? <laughs> Another day to be great. Yeah, there it is. <laughs>
3: i've started doing it too i just i log on to twitter first thing i say in the morning another day to be great trying to be like lg
1: another day to be great next few games miami heat another interesting game for the suns assuming that they come into that game with all their players and then orlando and toronto the three florida teams actually now that i think about it because toronto's in tampa bay uh miami heat's probably real the real test for the suns their versatile team could look different as early as tomorrow when that game is. We're recording this on Monday night. Orlando, not very good, but it, you know, if the Suns end up making trades or getting buyout guys, they could have guys from there, so that'll be interesting for us. And then Toronto, a team that has a very good coach, so anything can happen. Those are interesting games. We'll be back next week. We'll cover all of it at that point. Maybe even have an emergency podcast after the trade deadline if anything interesting happens. But we'll talk to you guys very soon.
0: That ninth assist tonight, E.J., he's at 10,000 for his career. He has assisted to 136 different players in his career, with not surprisingly Blake Griffin leading the way. And he's already assisted on at least one basket for 13 of his new Suns teammates, 84 of them going.